The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video. As seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Hi everybody, this is Dror and now, this time it is my turn to say Welcome to the Video Insiders, everything you need to know about video technology right here. By the way, Dror, are you recovered from the big party last night? A big party? Well, what big party? Well, I mean, I'm talking about the Haifa Beer Tech Meetup. And, you know, based on the LinkedIn video that, I, who is it, Jeff Pulver? Posted. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think oh, you guys, yeah, yeah. you guys had already started the party based on what I saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I have to say that video was taken before we started drinking the beer. Oh, uh, so okay. imagine what okay. happened after. Uh oh. But uh, yeah, that was really fun. So basically, it's kind of a monthly meetup that I organize for startups and the high tech community in Haifa, because that's where I live in Haifa in Israel, and it's it's the third largest city. But not many startups uh, in the city. So for the past few years, I've been uh, trying to, to build a community of uh, you know, entrepreneurs and investors and people who work in high-tech companies. Uh, we have uh, many of the big companies in Haifa. We have huge R&D centers for Intel and uh, for Microsoft, for Google, Apple, uh, Yahoo, uh, basically everybody. Amazon, yeah, very big one and, and growing fast. But uh, we really want to have more startups, and that's why I uh, started this uh, meetup series. And we meet on the last Monday of every month in a pub, and uh, we have a sponsor. Actually, Intel is sponsoring the beers. So, oh, that's uh, awesome. That's yeah, awesome. that's great. <laughs> so we get to drink uh, free beers and uh, listen to some very fascinating talks. And yesterday, I brought a good friend of mine, Jeff Pulver, and He's, uh, he's really amazing, and he told the story uh, to the audience, his own personal story, which was very uh, inspirational. He actually started out as a ham radio operator because that's how he, he connected to people and connected to the world. And then when Vocaltech came out with the internet phone, which is called iPhone, <laughs> before yeah. Apple's iPhone, wow. uh, in the 90s, he was one of the first users, and he got very excited about voice over the internet. And... Eventually, he left his day job and became a huge fan of voice over IP and a promoter of voice, voice over IP. He actually coined the term VON, which is voice over network or video over network. And he built a huge business, um, a multi-million dollar business of conferences and magazines, everything around uh, voice over IP. And uh, he even had a law passed on his name. It's called the Pulver Order, which made sure that voice communication of the internet remains unregulated. So that's a very big uh, uh, achievement. Wow, and, that's um, huge. Yeah, yeah, it's really huge and it's really a fascinating story, you know, about following your dreams and, uh, and just making them happen. And, and since he had this uh, huge business, he's also been investing and he invested to date in over 400 startups. And that's, that's really amazing. Incredible. I'm not sure you're aware of this, but LinkedIn is putting a very big emphasis lately on live videos. They, they really want to promote this, you know, in the same way that Facebook did a few years ago when they started live videos. And he turned on his phone, you know, and in a few minutes, 1,500 people are watching us. I have to plug, since we're talking about LinkedIn, I have to plug the LinkedIn group. 
Yeah. We are now we are now up to 1300, almost 1300. Maybe by the time this episode comes out, we'll be well over 1300 members. It's an amazing group of um, just really the top experts. You can see in the groups who the other members are. And uh, I, I get messages all the time that say, wow, this is like a who's who in the industry. So if you haven't joined, make sure you join and your contribution, you know, will really be welcomed. Um, obviously it, you know, we're pushing our podcast episodes, but really it's, it's kind of a water cooler. That's the purpose for the industry to come together and talk about what's happening. I think, uh, we should jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's talk about finding and developing a whole new way to monetize your content. We are talking to a really fascinating person who, uh, drawer, can you believe it? This gentleman runs a cider mill that is a farm, and he has a technology startup. Have we wow. ever talked to a farmer who's also a technology founder? I, I don't no, think so. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. That's right. So <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a first on the Video Insiders. So we are talking with Hank Freecon, who is the CEO and the co-founder of Source Digital. Welcome, Hank. Hey, welcome. I'm uh, opening a glass of cider right now. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. I have to say, I have to say, I've not really tasted a whole lot of cider, you know, in my, uh, not not because I don't like it or I just haven't had a lot of opportunities. So I'm going to have to try some of your cider. Well, it's it's one of those things. It's 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 a little anic, little sidebar on the on the farm. So, you know, a lot of times people ask me, where did you get your MBA? And my answer is always growing up on a, on a farm. And so a lot of times people don't think about a farm as a business, right? They think of it as a lifestyle. But at the end of the day, it's got to make money. So we started the cider business as a way of getting rid of the middleman and, and uh, getting direct relationships with our consumer through value-added products. So in a lot of ways, there's it's all just apples, right? A lot of times my friends uh, will joke, they can't tell if I'm talking tech or talking about the cider because <laughs> I'm just talking about Apple, you know, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And then they That's tell you, yeah, but, uh, you know, let's separate the apples and the oranges. And, and the oranges. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, no, it's, it's, there'll be some, I'll actually give some apple ties in throughout this conversation. Um, <laughs> but real apples because what we're talking about is uh is a transition to how to think when you become a commodity so uh i'd really like to hear a bit uh, about your company source digital so what, what does the company do yeah so the company's called source digital you know we shortened it up to call it source a lot of times when we referred to but it's interesting so my my background and my co-founders backgrounds are all in media and entertainment tech so we've been part of that nab ibc community i'm Probably short-lived on the team at 18 years in, in the M&E tech space. Michael Phillips, my co-founder, one of the pioneers of Avid Media Composer with Tom Ohanian, about 27 years to date him. So we had a pretty good insight as to the, the plumbing of the industry, right, from that transition from analog to digital. And, uh, and, and knew that ultimately disruption would occur through that process. But it really didn't hit me. I, I had uh, co-founded a company called Radiant Grid, and it was during that exit that uh, 
I, my sister, who's a costume designer, started pinging me and saying, you know, here's another one. Look, I got this email. Laura, could you please tell me who made the pink hoodie that Sookie was wearing in episode X season Y, right? And and you start thinking about this as, a, as at, at the data level, right? So at Radiant Grid, we were very concerned about, you know, time information, like aspect ratio, color information. And I started thinking, well, well, that's important for computers, but wow, humans really want this, right? And so that was the ba- the thesis for the company was what kind of engagement is happening around content that content owners have no clue about? And from there, we started to really go down, you can, you know, and realize this, this is not a market you have to invent, just like Facebook didn't invent friendships, right? It's just that because of video being a pre-internet technology, it just really wasn't built for that immersive relationship that that everybody's used to on the internet. And so you're losing your customer as a content owner and to other people. And so we figured, hey, let's let's see if we can't reinvent the way that this might go down. If you did want to know that that pink hoodie that Sookie was wearing on episode X season Y at that exact moment. That really was the genesis of why we started Source. And it's been a, a good journey. Last year was our first full operating year. And we're excited about the future for sure. Yeah, it's great. I can remember going to, I'm sure a lot of the same conferences, Hank, that um, you've been to back in early 2000s, even <laughs> when um, yep. Friends was was all the rage and, you know, certainly mid 2000s, I guess. And everybody, Jennifer Aniston's sweater was the big thing, right? right? right. You know, that yep. was the yep. example. Everybody <laughs> talked, we're, yep. you know, we're going to make it possible so you can buy Jennifer Aniston's sweater. So where I'm going with this is, you know, what I find interesting is the subject of econ of commerce, leave off the E, just commerce and video has been around for years or uh, certainly more than 10 years. And yet it's never really been a thing. And so I'd really like for you to share your vision of how the technology, we'll get into discussing your specific technology and the IP, because I know you have quite an IP portfolio that you've developed, but, but what this really looks like, you know, like, like what are the, what are the use case? What are the applications? Mm, Why is this going to be a thing now? And 10 years ago, other than the technology maybe wasn't there. And there certainly were some, were some barriers we don't have today, but yeah. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about that. I think it, it largely starts off with this uh, moment in time back in early 2000 when we were first playing around with video over IP at a company called Savis. And I remember showing a demonstration of the, the Matrix to some executives at a, uh, I won't name the uh, the telecom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at this point. And uh, we showed that scene when they walked through the, uh, the metal detector and and no pixelization. Isn't this amazing? And the executive looks at me and goes, oh, this is great. Why do I care about this when I can go to Blockbuster and get the DVD? Right. And so <laughs> I've heard, I've heard the same thing. Oh, boy. Right. So yeah, you, you have yeah. these moments in tech and there's always waves. And yeah, this is not, it's not like we're saying we invented the idea, right. Of buying Jennifer Anderson's sweater, but you know, I think largely market adoption, timing. I mean, even a few years ago, how many people even had a, an iPhone or, or an Android phone, right? You think about that, you think about cloud infrastructure, you know, uh, emergence. There's all kinds of factors that come in to helping to support a technology like ours. So I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is generational, right? The most important thing is that when we think about these external factors, we think about the technology and how it has to work because now you start to have a much wider array of CE 
access. And so consumer electronics, you know, whether it's the mobile phone, it's the smart TV, it's the actual voice assist technology, all those things come into play to allowing you to have a more immersive relationship with your entertainment, you know, console of choice, right? And so I think the tendency is to think about a lot of times I want to touch and buy, right? But that's one way of thinking about it, right? Another way can be, you know, hey, uh, Alexa, you know, what location is that right now? And and having her be able to respond to that, right? You know, and, and yes, I said her. <laughs> so, you know, the personalization factor that, that comes with this relationship we have to our CE devices, I think really is is the timing is really good. And, and that's really gets into the heart of how we thought about our technology and how to make it ubiquitous, because there's definitely companies out there thinking about, you know, especially the large cable companies thinking about how do they create the smart home, right? But we wanted to think about it from a perspective of if you're just buying something off the shelf at Best Buy, how can you use these mixed devices and still have this kind of relationship uh, with your with your entertainment lane? And so that that was the start of, of the technology journey and, you know, helps kind of set the tone for, I think, later parts of the conversation. Well, you shared a, a Scotiabank uh, research note with us prior to recording this. And uh, congratulations, by the way, because they, you know, they featured Source. And one of the things I thought was really interesting was in this note, they were focused on LATAM, so Latin America specifically. And, you know, it's no secret that, especially in in uh, outside of the U.S., a lot of operators are wanting to, you know, they're feeling the need to sort of become Netflix or certainly to compete directly with Netflix. And one of the things that, you know, that I found really interesting in, in what Scotiabank, you know, what this analyst said was, you know, a, a little bit, don't try and be Netflix. Find right. because you're, because <laughs> in all honesty, you're, you're not going to be, <laughs> you know, and it's going to be very, very difficult, very challenging to compete. But um, there are some really unique monetization. There are ways to compete and to increase revenues and to be relevant and stay relevant. And and this interactive, you know, we're sort of talking about monetization. We're talking about triggering somebody making a purchase, but it's an interactivity that I have to believe. And I'd love to get your insights on just the uh, ability for the consumer who's watching a piece of content that they obviously are finding value from, or else they would have clicked away. You know, they yeah. wouldn't be watching it. So they're interested in it. And, and, and the ability for that consumer to get drawn in on, on a different level with this interactivity. And then maybe as a byproduct, they choose to spend money, which of course, Obviously, if we're an advertiser or if we're if we're selling products, then we want them to do that. But is, right. is there some value in just the interactive element, you know, even by itself? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I'll, I'll sort of think of, I'll use a juxtaposition here to, to talk about apples for a second, right? So apples were a premium product, you know, maybe we'll say it was the 1920s or at some point in history, right? You're, you're um, talking about the fruit here, apples. The fruit here, yep, yep. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, it was, hard, it was hard to grow them. It took specialized uh, resources. It, you know, technology wasn't there. You had to, there was a mix of art and science, right? And doesn't this sound familiar, right? And then Along the way, you know, processes change, technology evolves, the industry evolves, markets open up to each other, and now apples are a commodity, right? So, you know, now how do you survive 
when you think about your product as a commodity. You have to think about your KPIs differently, right? So maybe Apple's the way that you get into the environment of the farm. And But once you're there, what more can we do with a customer? How do we engage them? Is it the bakery that we install to make them be able to smell the bread? Is it the cider that we're making so they get a, that alcohol, warm, fuzzy feeling of, of place? So all of these engagements we think about as a life cycle or KPI. And I think as content owners, you know, we had this luxury to think about KPIs as monetizing by the hour, right? Blocks of time. We didn't really matter if we had wasted engagement, like if the audience drifted to some other screen or, or, or some other part of the house, right? We still measured it. There's still a CPM that says there was a viewership and there was an impression that was your, your, your thing. But really, you have tons of wasted engagement. Now that we move to a world where I hate to say it, but video is a commodity. It's, it's, it's like 87% of brands are going to be using video as their method of communication in 2019. I use the analogy all the time. It's not uh, ABC and NBC against each other. It's both of them against Facebook, right? So that notion of screen time in real estate, it starts to become your KPI. And because the industry is largely, you know, to this day, propped up by advertisers and brands, right? They're looking at mediums and they're saying, hey, where do I spend my money, right? And if I'm going to, I have this medium called the internet, which is fully immersive. I have a total understanding of my audience. My KPIs are all about engagement. And over here, I have this medium called video, television, or whatever you want to call it, right? That says, hey, I don't really know. I can tell you that supposedly that somebody's watching, but I don't know what they're doing and they're chasing their kid around or they playing Candy Crush on the phone. And so we know though that people are, it's not that it's not a valuable medium. We know that people are really into a lot of times what they see on TV. We just don't, we lose them, right? As a content creator or video producer, we, we lose them to Google. We lose them to Amazon, we lose them to, you know, some distraction. And once that is loss is there, the attrition occurs, right? Because now you get into this other world and that's what those companies do best is they mine you, right? They take you, you know, Amazon's awesome at this, right? Saying, okay, you came in here and now I've got to want to take you down these other journeys. So I think as, as uh, you know, when you, when you think about the KPI and that notion of interactivity, obviously the obvious thing to say is, hey, I want to sell you this thing you see on TV, right? Jennifer Aniston's sweater. The unobvious thing is, you know, is someone interested in the cast member? Are they trying to find out more information about them? For me personally, I love personal sports like snowboarding, surfing. So location's huge for me. I'm always wanting to know location of scenes or, or things like that. So, you know, that's what makes content personal, right? And there's storylines, even the context in the, you know, she leans in and says, oh, you smell nice tonight. What, what are you wearing? Right? Well, there's not a physical thing there, but there's a, there's a, an emotional thing, a scene there that, that the storyteller has done to create context. And, and so if we can at source, you know, use all of that information that is available at any moment to help a content owner be able to retain their audience at a per minute KPI, right? And have zero lost, uh, zero wasted engagement. 
now we can re- retrofit this medium to be ready for this commoditized world that we're entering into with video. That's really interesting. Of course, you know, as a, as a CTO, the, the part that's fascinating to me is, is the technology, because uh, you're taking a video stream, which is basically, you know, kind of um, a static medium, frame by frame image information, and you're combining this with uh, metadata, which is um, description, uh, attributes, links about certain parts of the video, certain objects in the video, and you're taking these two and, and combining them and, and together they create an immersive experience, an interactive experience, and also an experience that, that you can monetize. So can you let us know exactly how sure. this is done? How, how are you combining these two together to create these experiences? Yeah, so I, you know, let's let, let's let's move from left to right in terms of how we think about workflow. You know, on the left side, we have different levels of input, right? We have the continuity tools that exist out there. We have the manual human entry tools, right? That that's the first thing we always get is like, does somebody have to hand enter this? And they say, well, you can, or you can adjust your workflow. And they're like, oh, like you know, can I use image analysis or machine learning? I'm like. Well, you can again, but if I can tell you it's a Pontiac Firebird, I can't tell you what the carburetor is inside if I don't have access to that, right? But you know who does have that? The person on that put that together and built the product list for the set and, you know, and all of that. And so I think a lot of this has to start with adjusting workflows to recognize the value of this data to humans, right? And so... There's that left side, right? Now, when we you know, come into Source Digital, our job is to now normalize all that data. As Michael Phillips says all the time, it's easier to subtract than to add you know, in, a, in an edit, right? So if you think about it from that standpoint, start removing and adjusting. But then inside of Source, we also bring that, we actually don't depend on the video to start this cumulative process, right? At that point, we're just looking at data and we're looking at video. They can come and go independently, but at some point we make a bond and that bond is a heartbeat of our intellectual properties is where we, we might start with time code, right? But then ultimately we take a synthetic representation of that content that that way, if time code gets blown away, we still understand exactly what was curated for these moments, right? And how they should be available as we get further down the chain, right? So that's a part of it, right? The other part of it is how do you make this intelligible to a human? What does that infrastructure lane look like? You know, when we first started Source, we thought that people would figure that part out, right? I always use the analogy, it's like, we're not here to say we invented this space. We're here to say, it's like saying we invented cars driving on the road. And it's like, well, what's your role, right? So what we thought, you know, our role will be a really good data engine that can take content in, marry metadata. We don't host the physical video. We just will make sure that the relationships are bound so that we always understand what's there to take take shape. And then other people invent the applications that will drink this data, right? Whether it's uh, search lookups or, you know, touchable screens or voice assist, question ask kind of stuff or second screen relationships. I know that's a bad word. So we say companion. <laughs> but <laughs> The point is, is that we did have to realize quickly that, well, we're trying to talk about cars, everybody's riding horses. So, you know, you get into these rabbit holes of how do you even, what does this look like? So we did start to now build some of these front-end experiences and we call them experiences. So a lot of them are overlays or calls to action. 
we're not alone in, in doing this. Like we've done stuff where hot spotting, we'll call it, um, where you could touch a, a, a subtle call to action or just guess at the object. We have found that, that humans aren't, you know, necessarily ready for that just yet. So more of the obvious calls to action or ways of thinking about your user experience become important. But then all of the times that someone wants to know something or request something can either be part of a suggestion lane by that was curated by the content owner or the or the or the uh, content distributor or can be dialed in by personalization and what i mean by that is another part of our intellectual property stack is recognizing conditions in the environment you know we all know about where gdpr is started in europe and where we think the us will go and so what we're not doing is talking about sharing data what we're talking about is creating a safe relationship of you and your content and in that model you know, we believe at Source that people will start, once they feel good about that that safe zone, that they'll start wanting to allow more information about themselves only for the purpose of making their own personal experiences better, right? And so at that point, you can start thinking about gender, you can start thinking about location, you can start thinking about all these conditions in the environment and how that might change the relationship or the thing that you want to know or, or still help a content owner create a more frictionless engagement opportunity. Uh, so for example, somebody scores in a game in, in a sporting event, right? Obviously, you don't want to be offering the female a quick high motion relationship to the jersey that the person's offering. That's a men's jersey, right? So the more when we do demos, we show also how that relationship of, of environment starts to help not just in the in-home or mobile experience, but also the digital out-of-home. Um, it, it's interesting that you gave an example of a, of, of a sports match, something that is usually broadcast uh, live. Mm -hmm. Does the technology uh, fit live workflows uh, as well as VOD workflows? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, think about your sportscast, right? You know your active players, you know your active status, you know merchandise relationships, things like that. But what you don't know is who's going to get the goal and, and who's going to get the assist, right? But the closer you can get to the action, the more you can play with the delay. And so in theory, you know, you have this ability to use structured data to drive that knowledge in a time way that allows a human who's ultimately going to receive that viewing lane to be synchronized. And again, that gets part of how we manage these tightly coupled relationships without the use of, of time code. And that's when we talk about automatic content recognition that again gets back to our intellectual property. Esports gets even better because there's lots of cool things that, you know, you don't need a human statistician in the Unity engine. You just need uh, access. <laughs> so, yeah, so access to can, data that's already there. Exactly, exactly. Yep. So we look at data in a lot of ways. We look at data from a literal relationship. We look at it, how it drives contextual relationships. You know, we look at it to communicate to content owners so that they can use it to drive branding relationships. You know, again, it's really just about, you know, thinking about of using the video to be a more immersive framework to really start engaging and having zero wasted engagement, which is ultimately how you're going to measure yourself in the future. So I'm thinking about some some other applications and and tell me if if this is possible. I think it is. One of the things, and this is a thread that's uh, actually going on even in the last couple of days on, on my LinkedIn profile and in the group, Pluto TV, I think everybody's familiar with Pluto TV, made a very interesting choice early on, and they've even really doubled down on it. And that is to use the grid 
as their user interface. So it looks like your very traditional kind of pay TV, you know, interface. Um, I think it's very, it's very familiar to people. It's very comfortable. They just, in fact, I think today, or maybe it was yesterday, but in the last 24 hours, uh, at least as of recording of this episode. So this is July 2nd. But uh, anyway, the point is they've even introduced a, a version 2.0. My, my, my question or my comment is, is it possible to improve recommendations, the recommendation engines, such that because you know uh, that, like you said, there's location data. So maybe I'm a fan of, you know, um, I recently went on vacation to Puerto Rico. And so I'm thinking, hey, I wonder if there's a movie that, you know, was set mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. you know, just as right. an example. Right. Or, you know, you're an extreme sports uh, surfing. Hey, I wonder if there's any movies that were shot, uh, you know, exactly in yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. You know, I mean, all of that kind of stuff. Is that an application for your technology as well? Completely separate from the commerce, but to, but to inform recommendation engines so that now rather than just relying on in the description, you know, maybe saying something about Puerto Rico you know, to, Mm -hmm. to use that. Now, you know, for sure that, Hey, you know, Keanu Reeves replicas was actually shot or set in Puerto Rico, just as an example. Is that, is that possible? Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, you covered a few different applications that we think about, right? And so a lot of times people tend to generalize the term application, but I mean it in a life sense, right? Like, you know, yes. it, yeah. the application of use, right? And so, yeah, I mean, you know, why shouldn't I be able to be in my Uber app and turn on a little, uh, you know, or Lyft app and, you know, look left, there's where Harry met Sally, you know, and, and that's an opportunity to maybe make a recommendation on something I haven't thought about in a while as a movie, right? Um, it's cool. time, it's space, it's relevant, right? Yeah. Um, the idea of, you know, just even thinking about how you might plan your next trip, if you could, you know, store certain location data right in your personal wallet, right? The way that you might think about that intersection of content, you know, not just in the physical world, but in in personal space. Dad, remember Pontiac GTO used to have? At that point, I'm sharing that moment, right? I'm talking about it. I'm pushing that, right? So when my dad gets that moment, right? It's an object, but it takes me right back to that exact moment in the video. And that might be an opportunity to say, hey, this is featured on this uh, car reality show. Would you like to maybe subscribe for a few bucks a month? So, you know, it it can become a lead in too. I mean, there's just, you know, when you start going down the journey of how to put this metadata to work and actually how to use in combination with environment, I think it really drank our own Kool-Aid, but I think it really does uh, make a ton of sense for content owners to start thinking about how they how they use audience in, engagement in this case. Sure. So you're that. talking actually now about a use case that's kind of reverse. Instead yeah. of uh, watching a video and then let's say you see a jacket and you know what that jacket is and, and what brand and you can buy it, you can go and see a jacket and then ask in, in which movie did this appear and then you get a clip from that from that movie. Exactly. So it's kind of uh, reverse, yep. but this this brings me actually to to think about how relevant is this to AR, right? To right. to kind of uh, in 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 the near future, you know, when everybody yep. will have contextual information available from their surroundings using these uh, augmented reality goggles, which hopefully will get uh, smaller and smaller and embedded in your glasses and eventually in your eyes. <laughs> in my yeah. contacts. So, <laughs> yeah, in your contacts, and then. 
in your eyes. And then, <laughs> then they will be embedded in your robot. And yeah. then you, you, you won't be useful anymore. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's a, a, Mark knows about my theory of machines creating content for machines to consume. Yeah, yeah. And then, yes. you know, yes. and then either uh, humans are, are free to, you know, to lie on the beach and do nothing or they're extinct <laughs> because you know, there's no use for them anymore. Uh, but let's, let's, let's uh, stay at the level where a human is still in the, in the loop and, yeah, and you're, uh, where, where humans so are still useful. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're still useful. Um, so I think augmented reality, you know, it's, it's a classic uh, use case of getting t- context, you know, visually, Yeah. And, and then, you know, immediately you can have like a video clip. Yeah. I mean, in fact, think about space, you know, in coordinates, not just as X and Y or, you know, in a simple sense, but we think about these vectors in three-dimensional space because we do see a world where, you know, your, your viewing relationships, your life relationships, augmented reality becomes a very attractive tool. And, and there's obviously the, the entertainment value proposition, but even think about a training video, right? Where you're trying not to just, right now the KPI might be, did they watch the whole thing, right? And to make sure that they're certified, right? Then that KPI could be more, did they, did they engage with certain moments and therefore we can certify them, right? In, in, you know, and there's in a very practical sense, a very valuable proposition when you're trying to think about how to deal with remote resources that maybe are going to be doing some highly technical job in an oil refinery or, or something like that. So I, I think you're spot on, you know, Doris, that the, this data relationship, you know, it really should be part of every, it, it's cheap to start it out really when you think about it. I have, again, my sister, you know, I won't say the content in her, but I remember telling them, I said, you know, she has more knowledge of what occurred on set right now uh, in this laptop. And she's at your competitor on the next show than, than you do anywhere in this company. <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah. and, and, and uh, where, why aren't you storing that? Right. And they were like, you know, you, it's a good point. You know, we just haven't seen the value in it uh, up until recently that you know, you're bringing it to our attention. So I think the, you know, when you start you know, thinking about all these different CE relationships. I like voice assist a lot, you know, because we did a demo at CES. I think it was a few years ago where we had permission to use the walking dead and, you know, you could walk up and say, you know, Alexa, what is, what jeans is Andrew Lincoln wearing right now? And she'd, you know, come back and tell you, and, you know, would you like me to mark them in your favorites or add them to cart? Right. I also like the application of use where, It's not always about the instant you're in the dream of content or in this real life zone of, of trying to pay attention to real life but even favoriting things and and liking certain things helps you enjoy those moments later in another position right especially location is this technology primarily working in the audio domain so on the audio soundtrack or is it video or is it is it a combination so can you can you tell us what domain you're working in and and Yeah, so, so for source, so I think for those who aren't familiar with the acronym ACR, you know, it's automatic content recognition. And it covers a wide swath of ways of understanding a, a, a piece of content is largely most widely used application, largely for audience measurement or things like that, right? Well, what it does do is it, it tells you, you know, without the use of, you know, sharing IDs and, 
and time code, which, you know, again, that works really well when you have this virtual four walls like a Netflix, right? But when you did something in content and you want it to live in perpetuity or have a life cycle relationship, no matter where it travels, you have to rethink about how do you recognize when these variables change, even mashups or recutting the the content or retiming it, right? You need a way to kind of quickly know. And so um, we, we at source, we are, some of our intellectual property doesn't, is agnostic to the uh, method of ACR, right? So we also work with third party ACR providers, but also we invented a method of, of fingerprinting that also allows us to get very granular about where we are in a moment. And so that allows us to create a very tight correlation to the data supposed to be happening in that moment and how we should and what we should do when those moments happen. So that's that's a large part of without getting too far down the rabbit hole, the audio becomes this this way for us to really it's a lightweight way. It's also a nice way to move across screens or have relationships with devices um, that were bought from Best Buy because you don't have to plumb the har- the whole wor- architecture. You can use standard internet as your method for just being online, right? And then the audio can give you that triangulation you need. But, you know, at the same time, like I said, there's, there's video ACR technologies when you're in the bar that work great with our model. There's watermarking, you know, ultrasonic that in some environments makes sense, stadiums, et cetera. So there's, there's lots of different uh, ways to, to use ACR. I think that answers the question, hopefully, in terms of where source lives is taking this, you know, I use the word synthetic of saying, okay, we have this unique uh, relationship that we've extracted that now becomes that record of content. And we have this store, this data that's accumulating. And the cool thing is once we've done that extraction, that, that sole extraction, I'll call it, we can change data relationships at any time. We can pivot off of information at any point in time because that is really living in the cloud. And and again, this gets back to, you know, things that weren't possible years ago, you know, when some of these ideas emerged are now made a lot easier because of folks like Amazon and Microsoft and, you know, that, uh, that have done a good job of using cloud infrastructure or making it available to people like us. The other thing I'll, I'll reference in that model is, the notion of, of how you might think about other pieces or elements alongside the data. Again, it's maybe you need to also serve up a headshot. Maybe you also need to serve up some visual representation. Maybe there's even a, uh, we did a demo where we showed a, a screen to screen syncing. So imagine, you know, we had, uh, I think we did it with uh, straight out of Compton where, you know, they had the, the scene on the TV, but I was able to grab that scene and spin up at the start the queue at the exact moment using our algorithms so that it wasn't just a metadata value proposition. I actually was allowing someone to grab content out of the air and then queue into it from another stream source. And at the same time, that thing on the mobile phone was interactive. I could touch the starter jacket and buy it. I could touch the hat. And we called that our ultimate demo because it showed how you can even move beyond just pure metadata or ancillary data and actually start using rich media data to, to drive external relationships. And I can see a real obvious application for what you just described, because one of the challenges, and I, I was actually involved back in uh, 2011, 2012 with a set-top box vendor. So think media player, you know, think something like mm-hmm. a Roku. It wasn't Roku, but, and we were proposing to a very, very large electronics retailer 
that effectively we were pitching exactly what you're presenting. We're saying, look, you're selling media players. You're, you know, yes, they had their own content service, but it, it, you know, it was not, they weren't really monetizing it. it. It wasn't a main focus. So you're basically making literally just a few dollars when you ship a media player. Why don't we build this proprietary box for you? It'll be all the same content, but then you can go sell advertising or you can even advertise your own products. So that was our pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody's super excited. It was a super easy presentation. It was you know, one of the easiest ways to get meetings <laughs> because right. you know, nobody's going to say, no, we're not interested. But right, it, right. but but the whole the whole idea and it didn't even break down on the technology side. We had some partners at the time and, you know, we, we were able to demonstrate that we could, quote, do it where it broke down was that there isn't a studio anywhere that's going to allow you to put an overlay on their content. <laughs> it's right, not right. going to happen. Yeah, yeah, and so, exactly. you know, so you're yeah, watching yeah. the Avengers and, yeah. you know, or it doesn't even matter, you know, right, who it is, what right. the show is, there isn't anywhere. And that's where it just, it, it, the whole thing just basically fell apart. But what exactly. I hear you saying is, is that you're able to synchronize so that maybe they're actually watching the stream on the phone or on the tablet, but either they have the rights or, you know, there's there's some way that then you could serve up that content. And that was the piece we were missing. So the whole thing just kind of fell apart because like, well, you know, <laughs> if, if I can't, yeah, no, it, it, if I can't get the rights, you know, to do this. And <laughs> yeah. Well, and you hit on a key thing. You know, we talk about tech here for a little while, but rights are are very sensitive lanes and they are impediments to use of technology in a lot of ways. And so this is a great podcast opportunity. And I really want to thank you guys because what it does is it allows us to evangelize some concepts that hopefully will get business minds thinking yeah, a little bit absolutely. on how to solve for some of those non-technical blockers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. right well, yeah. let's, uh, you know, let, let's switch back into kind of the technical side. And so what yeah. are the integration points for your yeah. solution? And, you know, you, uh, you know, I guess I'd like to start with kind of on the, on the app, uh, you know, kind of the client side and then, you know, server. And if there's any other kind of workflows or, yeah, why don't sure, you sure. share with the audience what the integration points look like? Yeah, so so with respect to, you know, we'll start with web apps because those are our favorite right now. You know, I love where application, you know, the term progressive web apps are going right now because as we always hear is like, oh, great. Are you telling me I have to get an app? <laughs> you yeah, know, that's right. Like another point of friction, right, to, to getting someone to uh, do something. And, you know, with the progressive web app movement, you know, things become a lot more easy to integrate with, to drive extra search relationship values that, again, not just helping me, you know, how to find that video in that that app, but actually helping me find a moment in the content that's of a unique search criteria. And so the way that we work is in the app, in the web app zone, you know, whether it's mobile or desktop or whatever, is just by allowing uh, either third parties to talk to our APIs, which are pretty open. Um, at this point, we currently use a RESTful API as our standard method, but we're, we're moving over to GraphQL as a method for communication. And then also we have a freely available plugin called Whisper that can also allow us to break down those time code barriers we talked about earlier, which is, we'll think of it as the decoder ring that allows us to use the audio 
as that triangulation point. But again, some in, in apps may already have a third-party ACR model, and, and or maybe we're using some other thing that's coming down the standards pike uh, in the future that we can use for triangulation. So that uh, web app environment is pretty much a you know standard API. We also make available themes, and our themes are you know we have one coming out called Watch and Shop. Pretty pretty obvious <laughs> name um, <Sorry>. design, <laughs> you know, with a mobile first mindset, nice filtering. We have another one coming out called Entertainment Plus, right? And these themes are uh, React JS based themes that anybody can just grab and manipulate and uh, and overlay, provide as, as overlays or wraparounds to their to their to their video player. Um, we're agnostic to the video player, so we work across you know, break cove and YouTube and, you know, all uh, HTML5, you know, et cetera. And so then at that point, you know, we've kind of removed some of those friction points to getting this integrated on the, on the application side. Mm, on the native, so you don't integrate directly with the mobile app, you integrate with the mobile browser inside well, the app. You know, we see a lot of those requests coming right now. You know, that seems, mm-hmm. and, and we think that's probably the future of consumer applications. I'm certain there are always going to be in for the near term, reasons to have a native app strategy, right? You'll get lower latency, you'll get nice features uh, that you can take advantage of. But I, I do think that like things like the Ionic framework become more and more in use. You're going to see this shift because it's just much easier to get to a URL than it is to go get an app from an app store, right? And so it makes it less about, it's, you know, chasing that now, I think, underscores the need for using this metadata even more richly to drive relationships for people to find your content on the open internet, right? I, I love where progressive web apps are going. That said, we have a also method which you can use. Uh, we have an SDK kit that you can just grab and install our Whisper component and libraries directly in your native app uh, environment. Again, Android, iOS, etc. That's uh, another way of integration. You know, some of the stuff we did with some of the voice assist was just using open APIs that were provided there and bouncing that back to a uh, a, uh, a listening, uh, you know, another tethered listening lane. The complexities of integration, uh, the simplicities of integration, we've we've seen them all just because we're in this early stage use of the technology. But we work across those. Uh, we really try to make it easy for for the consumer applications, whether they're native or web, to talk to us. That said, we also have done some stuff with players uh, directly, where the players themselves are actually wrapping up our our data lanes and able to call us and really kind of have a tight, more tightly coupled relationship. So that that's been fun, and that's really then allows us to live alongside the player and maintain synchronization that way. So that gets important into like, you know, VOD workflows in that environment. So that's, that hopefully covers some of the, the, the front end. In terms of point of presence or in-store lanes or ways of thinking about it in, you know, we have one opportunity we're working on right now, which is really cool. It's, it's a digital out of home use case where instead of just running normal commercials, they want to run advanced programming that is enthusiast-based and tied to the events that they're wrapped around. And what's cool about that is this notion of you have giant screens up in the air, right, that are not touchable and clickable that are telling you about stuff, right, but can have a relationship with the phone in that environment. And and so that's another example of, of integration, right, where we're 
talking about the mobile lane specifically, but we're having this relationship with this giant, you know, out of home screen. Right. Wow. So I live in, so my mind immediately goes to, you know, I, I'm in Phoenix, um, Scottsdale area. And of course, you know, we have the major car auctions, you know, Barrett Jackson. And mm, I mean, my yeah. mind just immediately goes to like, wow, I could be sitting in the tent watching these huge monitors, you know, seeing the auction in real time while I'm getting information right on my device. Like, wow, that's yeah. just, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, super cool. Yeah. And then you wouldn't have to be clubbed over the head with some advertisement that has questionable, you know, engagement around it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just to touch on the on the content owner side, you know, because we, you know, the nice thing about our model is we're not built into the encoding lane, right? We're not having to change workflow. That was a really Michael and I and and Patrick and a lot of the guys that we thought about this, you know, we know the pains it is to go to a contenter and say, you know, it's great. A business guy wants to do something. And the engineer's like, Oh, great. Now I have to try to figure out how am I going to get that into the encoding chain? Right. (laughs) So, so, you know, and also even if you did, you couldn't really house the amount of information and the dynamic nature of it we're talking about. So really this idea for us was important to create that index or that relationship where we could just snap the value of the, the content itself from any point in the stream that at least when it's at that final stage before error and or going to distribution and then let data relationships come and go independently by tying into, you know, either human entry points, machine learning, or, or ultimately what I think is, you know, the most streamlined ways, which would be tying into continuity data or, or, or EEL markers. So. Yeah, that, that's really, really interesting. And uh, you, you touched on several um, applications related to uh, to e-commerce and merchandising and even g- getting information about specific objects for uh, for other reasons. But before the recording, you told us about a really fascinating application that's related to fake news. So yeah. how does that work? Yeah, it's uh, it's something we've been playing around with just because we, as entrepreneurs, you know, we want to think a little bit altruistically too. <laughs> it's not that <not laughs> money's the most important fuel factor, but you know, what else can we can we do, right? And and you know, I, how can I, we I make the world a better right, place? Right, 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 exactly. You know, evil. So, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. with, with every good technology, it can be equally used to uh, produce. <laughs> so, so I, I think I'll t- address this one in a, in a tech way, and then it, and then you know we can think about you know where it might work in a in a human managed way. But on a tech level, I, I think one of the cool things about having an immersive framework like ours is you can apply external curations to things like news cycles or to, you know, political advertisements, which, you know, maybe aren't outright lies, but there's distortions, there's things that, you know, maybe need to be told a little bit more of the storyline than you're going to get in that 30 seconds, right? And so we did some really cool stuff with, you know, some some campaign ads uh, where we were able to create like some truth meters that were, you know, built over top or around the uh, the programming. We, you know, it's for quick fact-checking use. Uh, and then you could click it and go a little deeper into the story to see what the real story was. Now, that's a way of extending those user relationships and information across a third-party video content lane, right, that, that, that 
that maybe has some ill intentions or there are fake news intentions, right? So you could literally create a certificate of authenticity. Now we get beyond the tech and say, well, who is the author of the certificate? Because, uh, you know, yeah, who decides what's true right, and what's exactly, not? Yeah. Your position of fake news may depend on which, uh, which side you're on, right? And I hate that we're in that world right now, but there's a thought process that would have to be put in there, which is where we haven't gone too far beyond the initial testing of what it could look like. But, you know, I think, yeah, if we could find a, a body that was willing to or became a trusted lane, it, it could be an interesting use of our technology for sure. So you could have your own custom player that shows you uh, any video from the internet. And on top of that video, you have kind of an indicator of a truth meter at various places in the video. It kind of flashes green. Yeah, this is right. Or red, this is false. Warning. <laughs> dive deeper, more information to unpack here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I'm taking away from this discussion, which which is really awesome, is that, you know, we entered into this interview and, and I even was entering from the mindset of like, oh, this is all about, you know, selling Jennifer Aniston's sweater, you know, like at the right. end of the day that, right. you know, that's really what this is all about. Net it all down. This is about just selling more stuff. But I'm, uh, you know, I'm now concluding, you know, we're concluding and I'm saying, wow, this is the... The applications are just so broad and, and so profound. And, you know, it's really, really cool. I'd like to, uh, I think I'd like to close with this. And, you know, Hank, what's the biggest opportunity that you see for metadata to enable really new KPIs for video? And I really like yeah. the point that you made. Uh, and and I, I think, you know, maybe we should do a follow-up to this because early on in the interview, you mentioned that really this is all about generating and creating, you know, new KPIs. And so yep. rather than just, you know, thinking about, oh, completion rate, you know, oh, this video, you know, gets an average completion rate of 23% or kind of your really traditional metrics that everybody thinks about. But what do you think the biggest opportunities are, you know, for metadata to yeah. enable these new KPIs? Yeah. So I think the things that, you know, if we start with looking at, okay, how do we, <laughs> how does someone pay for content, right? They can do it through subscriptions. They can do it through advertising. They can do it through native brand integrations. They can do it through, uh, gosh, any number of ways, right? What I think about is how to connect that dot to the human in a way that is, is, is somewhat frictionless where the value of that acquisition is something that, that can be monetized. The no wasted engagement and the way we think about zero loss engagement is that there's always an opportunity in almost every moment in content to, that somebody's got going to, somebody in the planet <laughs> that's watching that is going to want to thirst for knowledge or do something. And, the, and, and so the KPI then is really about, and now values have to get assigned to this, right? Because the values of that start to drive, you know, and there's some notion of this already. It's not like we have to reinvent this. It's called a cost per action, right? Yeah, You've probably heard the term right. CPA, yep. right? And so it just has to move beyond this notion of saying, hey, I, I want to, I'm going to engage with this moment and that that has value, even if it was a character lookup. Yeah. Um, and so that now I have to figure out where in the ecosystem or how do I sell that value. And then that's where you can get into commerce items. That's where you can get into 
brand items. I, 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 I like, uh, I use this analogy a lot of times for the, the, some of our enthusiast content relationships that are, that are looking at using our tools or already have moved to use our tools. It's like, you got this audience all excited. You've got them, you know, psyched about a moment. You told a story in a way that, you know, really tried to get them to want to learn more because you were focused and you thought about your brand relationships and your partner relationships and you made them part of the storyline. And the very moment that that, imagine if I had a business where like the very moment I got a customer excited about something and they said, Hey, I want to buy that thing. I said, Whoa, 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 hold on. I actually can't sell it to you. You got to go figure that out on your own. (laughs) (laughs) And, And at that point, they're gone, right? You lost them because, you know, they're like, but, but please tell me how that experience went for you when you went to some place that I have no idea where yeah, and yeah. made the purchase. And, you know, and that's where you get into this. Like it's, it's again, and, and I understand why that had to occur because prior to technologies like ours, you couldn't have that kind of relationship, but ultimately yeah, you couldn't close the loop. Right. You couldn't close the loop. And and so now what we're really talking about, you nailed it, Doris, it's, it's we're closing the loop. We're talking about, you know, even if that a lot of people don't realize, like that location example we gave, it took a long time for the, the beach in Thailand to become an ecological disaster from Leonardo DiCaprio's movie, The Beach. Yeah. Right. But no one can argue that it was that movie and those scenes that that drove audience to that location. And a lot of people didn't make money on that. <laughs> but yeah. but the content owner didn't even get to use that KPI or know about it in a way that they could say, maybe they didn't try to get travel credits or a VIG on that. Maybe they just wanted to be able to say, hey, government of Thailand, you know, next time we shoot here, can we get better tax credits? <laughs> you know, because we we drive a lot of traffic, right? Here's our proof of that. So I think I think it's it's hard to pin down exactly one particular KPI, obviously, e-commerce is an easy one. A brand relationship, a CPA is an easy one. But I think once you start to unlock this, you'll find all kinds of ways of what, even going back to our inverse relationships of just letting someone get to the content easier in their, you know, in an environment that's top of mind and makes them maybe want to buy it or rent it or subscribe to. That's awesome. Wow. Well, thank you, Hank, for joining us. This has been just a, a really amazing discussion. It's incredible yeah, what it's, you've it's really yeah. been fascinating. Yeah. Hank, I also want to, to thank you. For me, it's also been really fascinating, this uh, discussion of, you know, taking that static uh, uh, video, which you just, you know, watch in a lean back uh, experience, and that's it, and, and making it into an uh, immersive uh, experience when you can uh, get information and uh, perform actions and, uh, and really turn this into something, you know, kind of a, a fusion of the web experience and um, and the video or TV experience. So yeah, really interesting. And, and, and thank you again for joining us here at the podcast. Yeah, well, you're going to have to keep us updated, Hank. Yeah, thanks again for joining. No, anytime. We'd, we'd love to talk more. This is great. And I really want to thank you guys again. We don't often have the opportunity to spend this kind of time. Every, everybody we talk to is like, can you tell it to me in 10 seconds? You know, <laughs> That's <it's> like, right. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy the thing you see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what if you could buy Jennifer Aniston's <laughs> That's right. There we go. We're back to that. <laughs> How much would that be <laughs> worth to you? <laughs> yeah, she's got a lot of good keepers on this podcast. That's <laughs> your elevator pitch. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. good. Well, we'll we'll close there. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen.
Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H264 transcoding every month.